0: good morning, wow, so good to be here. I'm so thankful for so many things this morning, I want to say hello to everyone watching online on television, thank you for tuning in, thank you for being here in the room, I just believe that God honors you when you honor Him, so thank you for being here and man thank you to this worship team for just leading us in powerful worship week in and week out, yeah. I want to say thank you for your faithfulness and giving, serving, praying, all those different ways that you remain faithful in uh, what is really uncertain times. There's a lot going on in the world, but thank you for your steadfastness in that. Next Sunday, we will be back in the worship center. That project is complete and everything is getting cleaned up. Yeah, you can clap for that. I'm thankful that Advent is coming up. You know, the season of Advent is a special and sacred season for us. We've been preparing for months for Advent and I want to encourage you to go ahead and begin to pray and prepare your heart uh, for that season that's coming. I'm also excited this morning. You know, we have some of the most faithful men in this church. I mean, just faithful, good, godly men. And uh, I'm very thankful for Charles Hall who leads our men's ministries, our lay leader, and then also we have a men's council Uh but a part of that is we've been praying, you know, how do we continue to reach more men in the river region? It's been a part of our prayer and conversation for a few years now. And uh God has begun to answer that question. I had a conversation now quite a while ago with a guy by the name of Paul Guffey, and you may have heard of his name. And uh Paul and I began to talk, and we were I was actually talking with him about becoming the senior pastor of another Free Methodist Church, and I just asked him about his passion and he started talking about men, he started talking about men's ministry and and God has been working this thing together and working it out And for him and his wife Jenny to come and be with us here at Fraser, they're currently living in Franklin, Tennessee uh, but they're selling their house, they're making their way down again continue to pray for those logistics but Paul and Jenny are here with us this morning so I want to invite them up, I want you to meet them and I want to ask John Ed to come up as well and uh, I want John Ed to just pray a prayer of blessing over Paul and Jenny as uh, we continue this morning, and after the service, you'll be able to meet them. They'll be out by the uh, missions wall, right outside. Johnny, would you just say a prayer? Yeah, it is. It's on. God,
1: God can hear it. Well, this <laughs> is on. children God you always take care of your children who God ministers to me is I think more essential today than it's ever been and most churches are not reaching men. Thank you for Chris's passion, for Charles Hall's passion for the prayer ministry of this church's passion to see ways in which men, more men, more men might come to know Christ, and to serve each other. And then you bring Paul and Jenny here. Thank Mm -hmm. you. God, I'm just going to pray that you will bless them in their leadership, give them good wisdom and guidance. And, oh, God, it's just exciting. As your word says, we stand on tiptoe just looking for the marvelous acts of God of what you're going to do. Mm. It's an exciting time. And I'm going to pray just an open portion of your blessings upon them. Thank you. Thank you for a praying church. Thank you for a church that can target specific areas of ministry like men. And I just pray for your blessings. In the awesome and powerful name of your son, Jesus. In his name,
0: amen. 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 Would y'all give Paul and Jenny a big hand, please? Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. You want to preach? (laughs) Thank you. Oh, hey. Thank you, guys, for that moment. If you have your Bible, you can open to Luke 22. we will be in verses 1 through 6 this morning. If you don't mind, would you please stand out of respect for God's Word? Luke 22, starting in verse 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There's a famous saying that many times we say in jest, and if it were true, it'd be the world's greatest excuse. And that saying that we often say is the phrase, the devil made me do it. (laughs) The phrase, the devil made me do it, does not normally depict reality, does it? But the devil has a part. James, the brother of Jesus, gives us great insight in how we find ourselves not just sinning, but also enslaved to sin. In James chapter 1, In James chapter 1, starting in verse 12, James writes and says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He goes on to say, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it is has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown gives birth to death. Here James tells us that we are lured away. We are enticed by our own evil desires within us and those desires when they're conceived in our heart and mind they grow. They give birth to sin, and that sin grows in our life, and then eventually the end result is it brings forth death. Now passages like that raise a lot of questions for us. It raises questions about the nature of our fallen nature, the nature of our fallen desires. It also raises questions about Satan. It raises questions about his followers and how they work in our lives to agitate and cultivate and cajole those desires that we have that are fallen. But it should be no surprise, though, that in the midst of Jesus teaching about the last days and as Jesus approaches his last days before the crucifixion, it should be no surprise that we see Satan do some of his most famous work. In these six short verses here in Luke 22, they give us great insight into how Satan works as well as how sin when it's conceived, gives birth, grows in us, and brings about death in our life. Notice in verse 1, the passage opens up and it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. This sets the scene for us. This is not just, uh, this is not just kind of marking time and letting, we, letting us know where uh, they are on the calendar, but something is taking place here. Something very special for the people who are celebrating this time. Satan knows this. Satan knows what festival is coming. He knows what they're going to be celebrating. He knows that people will gather in their homes. And Satan knows that when they gather in their homes, they're going to sit around as families and they're going to tell stories. He knows that the people are going to sit around and some of the stories they're going to share are going to be stories about their family. They're going to look back and remember things. But he also knows that as the people gather around, they're they're going to be telling stories about God's redemptive work in the world. Satan knows that the families will come together. And there'll be moments of laughter. Satan knows that when the families come together, there's going to be moments of lament as they think about the family members who are no longer with them celebrating this Passover meal. And Satan knows something about the meal. Satan knows the particular meal that these families are going to be celebrating. He knows that this group of people called the Jews that in their celebrating the Passover they're giving a testimony to the world about the goodness of God. He knows that in this meal that they're celebrating this testimony that they're giving to the world is not just about how good God is but it's about the fact that God can bring down any Pharaoh who rises up against him or tries to stand in his way. He knows this. Satan knows all of this. Satan knows that this meal represents the fact that this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob redeems his people. Satan knows all of this. And Satan, when he sees these moments, these God-ordained holy moments of feasting and fasting, these are moments that Satan wants to disrupt. He does not want the people to gather and for this to be a sacred assembly among the families in which they're honoring God and testifying to the world. He wants to disrupt these moments. So we should not be surprised that it's at the feast of the Passover where we see Satan enter Judas. Satan already has the religious leaders of his day, doesn't he? He already has them on his side, but he needs some common people. In verse 2, the text tells us that and the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death. They're, they're already trying to kill Jesus. Again, they're already in league with Satan. But it says that they feared the people because Jesus had the hearts of the people. And while Satan has done his work in the chief priest and the scribes, he knows he needs some, some of the common people. He needs preferably someone close to Jesus to do one of his greatest works of deception that the world has ever seen. In verse 3, we read the text says, Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the twelve. That little phrase that he entered into Judas, it means that Judas was visited by Satan. It means that Judas began to experience something, a fresh experience of temptation. Now, James has already told us when he wrote his book that we are lured away and we are enticed by our own evil desires, by the evil desires that are in us. So what we can safely deduce from this story, this scene here in Luke 22, is that Satan found a foothold in Judas's life. Satan found a foothold in Judas's life. Satan found a crack in the heart of one of the twelve, and he began to go after that point. He began to go after that point and place of temptation in Judas's own life. Now, obviously, God was not caught off guard. The Father knew that this was going to happen. But God's foreknowledge is not causative. He knew, though that it was going to take place. He knew that Jesus uh, that Judas, excuse me, was going to be complicit in betraying Jesus. He knew that Judas was going to give into this temptation in his life and it was going to result in the betrayal of his son. But Judas's actions here in the next 3 verses tell us how he gave into that temptation. And if you've ever wondered how do I get myself in these places? How do I find myself in these places where I've given in again? Judas's life speaks to us. Verse 4 begins and it says he went away. He went away and conferred with the chief priest and the officers how he might betray him, him being Jesus, to them, them being the chief priest and the officers. Notice first that he went away. Judas departed from Jesus, both physically and spiritually. In fact, Judas is the prototype for Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy one. Paul writes to Timothy and says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Notice that it was Judas who went to the chief priest and the officers. They did not approach him. He approached them. And that action was fueled, though, by a deeper desire at work within Judas. Something was going on deep within him that pushed him to that place to take that first step away from Jesus and go and betray him. And notice that when Judas went to the chief priest and the officers, notice he asked for something. He asked for something. In exchange for him betraying Jesus to them, they had to agree to give him something in return. They had to agree to give him money. Money. Verse 5 says, and they were glad. They were glad that Judas came to them. And they agreed. They agreed to give him money. Money, the text says. Here we see the roots of, of Judas' real temptation. Here we see the roots of what's really going on deep in his heart and mind. The sin that was beginning to grow and build in Judas' life was actually not against Jesus. That's not where it started. But it was for this love and desire for more money. And as this desire burned within him... Satan fueled that fire in him, and the fire grew so much that he was willing to betray the one he believed was the very Messiah for the whole world. As these desires are burning in Judas, as Satan is fanning those into flame, Judas finds himself at that point where he's literally willing to betray the one he believes, who is, is the, the one who is the very Son of God. And the question is, how did he get there? How did he get there? Truth is, this is how sin works in our life. Sin starts off small and then it builds, just as James says. And it grows and it grows and it grows. Eventually, it's going to end in death. And listen, most of the time, we don't want to hurt people, do we? Most of the time, we don't want our sin to hurt people. We don't want our sin to hurt us. We, we don't want our sin to grow to this point where we turn into the worst version of ourself. We don't want to turn into that nasty person that people avoid. We don't want to grow into that person. We never start there. No one wakes up in the morning and says, Today I want to be as mean as I can possibly be to everybody I come in contact with. Today I think I want to betray someone. We don't wake up and think those thoughts and say those words. We don't. But when sin grows and it builds in our life and as Satan fans those flames, that's exactly where we find ourselves. Because we allow the places of temptation in our life to burn. Because we allow them to burn, many times we look up one day and we realize we have a wildfire on our hands that we cannot contain. We see this most clearly in our world when we talk about things like addiction. But we have to understand that That is the same with sin sin is an addiction as well it's ingrained in us it's ingrained in our sin nature there's a sin nature within us that is addicted to certain things for judas it was money for you it could be something else and when we do not kill that sin within that's when ultimately that sin will kill us eventually so Judas takes that first fateful step away from Jesus, toward the chief priest and the officers, both physically and spiritually. He wants something more than just a simple betrayal. He wants something in return. He wants this money." And then in verse six, it says, "So he consented, and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Notice that. Notice that Judas takes one step after another away from Jesus toward the chief priests and officers. He has a conversation with them. He wants money, and so he consented. He said, I'll do it. I'll put a plan in place for my deception, for the deception that I'm going to be a part of. And while a forest fire of desire for money was raging within Judas, he still knew this was not right he keeps walking away from Jesus he keeps walking toward the chief priests and the officers but he knows it's not right he keeps taking a step toward them he keeps having this conversation with them until they come to an agreement but he knows he knows it's not right same is true with us so many times we keep taking steps away from the Lord but we know it's not right but we we ask why in the world do I keep doing this why do I keep finding myself right back in the same situation over and over again I know it's not right we say it all the time we say in my mind I know this is not true in my heart I know this is not true but my actions keep leading me down this road knowing something is not right and being willing to stop it are two different things And many times we don't stop because we are consumed by our own desires that burn within us. And we have Satan himself, if not one of his followers, fanning those desires into flame within us. Notice that Judas began to look for an opportunity. He began to look for a way to betray Jesus, but it had to be, he wanted it to be, in the absence of crowd. This is how sin works in our life. We need to keep it hidden. We need to keep it private. We don't want to do too much in front of too many, or they may find out. This is how it works. There's a truth I want to share with you. If you don't hear anything I say this morning, please hear this. There's a truth that we have to grapple with that we have to come to terms with. There's a truth that again we may say we know that it's out there but many times we don't want to personalize it and accept it for ourselves. But once we do we're halfway there winning the battle. And that truth is simply this. Are you ready? The truth is you will Fall, You will And the truth is You have already You will fall Just as Judas fell You will fall The question is What will you do after You realize That you have fallen What will you do there Because there's another truth that is also true. It's not only will we fall, but the second truth is even more beautiful. And that is that we get to fall again. We get to fall again. The first fall is the fall of disgrace. It's the fall that Judas encountered and experienced on this day. But the second fall is not a fall of disgrace. The second fall is to fall into the arms of grace. The first fall is a guarantee. It's going to happen. It's going to happen because of our sin, it's going to happen because of desires that rage within all of us. We're going to fall. We're going to fall. Oh, but the second fall, it, my friends, is an invitation to come and to fall at His feet. You see, it's the wise men from the East who first appeared and fell at the feet of Jesus when he was but a child. In Mark 7, it was the woman who had a young daughter with an unclean spirit who heard that Jesus was near and she went and she fell at his feet and asked that he would heal her daughter. In Mark 5, it was Jairus, one of the rulers of the synagogue. He saw Jesus. He ran and he fell at his feet and in that moment he cast all his unhealthy religion to the side. In Luke 8, it was a man who was tortured by a legion of demons who came and fell at Jesus' feet and found the freedom that he could not even allow himself to dream of. You see, the first fall is a guarantee. You will fall. You have fallen. The first fall is going to happen automatically simply because your heart is beating and you're a part of the human race. But the second fall is an invitation It is to come and to fall at his feet. So many times we think we can stand on our own. So many times we think we can pull our own selves up. We cannot. There's never been a person who's lived throughout human history who has not fallen in some way, but then actually can't get themselves back up. See, the first fall is the fall that we experience, the same fall as Judas. It is a guarantee. But the second fall... Is that moment when we see who Jesus is. We see our fallen state and we come and we bend our knee and bow our head in His presence. That is a beautiful moment. When we fall because of sin and Satan, there's nothing but pain. But when we fall at His feet, it's when we've given in and we've seen the magnificence of His mercy. And that's when we find peace. So many times we're on a quest for peace, aren't we? We want peace and it's somewhere out there we have to go find it. Or today the, the quest that we're on is, is for peace that we can find within. Oh, that's a big one. Peace is somewhere deep down on the inside of me and I just got to get down there deep enough and discover it. My friend, there's only one place of peace. The one place of peace that we see repeated over and over throughout Scripture. The one place of peace that is actually the reality of heaven right now is at Jesus' feet. That is the place of peace. Again, this is the reality of heaven. Revelation 4, verses 8 and following. There are the four living creatures. We see the scene. They are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, that's when the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne And worship Him who lives forever and ever. And then they take their crowns and they cast them before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. That acknowledgement of who He truly is. The reality of heaven is that is the place where we eternally get to rest at the feet of Jesus. But there is where we find our peace you're gonna fall and you're gonna fall many times and again because you're here and some of you have a few years on you you have fallen many times but the invitation is to fall again to fall again to fall at his feet some of you right now you're experiencing a fall for some of you it's a small fall it's a small fall and you're hoping right now that This hiccup is not going to become a habit. But it's there. For some of you right now, you feel like your life is in a free fall. You feel like life is completely spiraling out of control. I I don't know where you are. I, I don't know if you consider the present or current fall as small or large. But what I do know is there's an invitation to fall at His feet and there you will find peace. You see, Peter also denied Jesus. Peter also denied Him. But Peter embraced the second fall. Judas did not. And that's why his story goes on with the trajectory that he's on here and ends in death. And the question is, for you and I, which one? Which one? Or are you just going to stop with the first fall and try to deal with it on our own? Or are we going to let ourselves fall again? You know, the Bible says that pride goes before the fall. It does. It does. But pride many times will keep us from experiencing the second fall. It's pride that goes before the first fall, but then it's our pride that'll keep us from experiencing that second fall. Again, it's not a fall of disgrace, it's to fall into the arms of grace. So, my prayer for you today, as the band comes up, my prayer for you is that I know you've experienced the first fall. Right now, it may seem like a small fall. It may, or it may be a free fall. My prayer is that you allow yourself to experience the second fall. That you will bow your head and bend your knee at his feet. And there find a peace that you cannot manufacture for yourself. Let's pray for that kind of peace and that kind of moment. Lord, would you in this moment give us the grace we need. To acknowledge the first fall it has affected us so much it's ravaged so much of our heart and mind and lives and relationships Lord we acknowledge it as David said my sin is ever before you Lord would you give us the grace in this moment to bend our knee and bow our head so that by your invitation we may experience the second fall into grace So that we may experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we stand here today and we say we we don't want our story to end the way Judas' story ended. So Lord, would you help us write a new chapter penned by your mercy and saturated in your love. May we fall into your arms once again. Lord, we love you. We really do. And we thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said.